don't know everything. I am your host, Kelsey Dara. Oh, guys, I just did something really cool. I just did a live edit in this podcast app, which means I played the theme song in the actual edit that we are doing here live. So that was like the first time I've ever gotten to hear the theme song jazz me up to my own show. Uh, That's just a fun fact for myself and no one else. Uh, But let's get right into it this week. I am so, so excited to introduce this guest. She is a master certified life coach, the host of Unfuck Your Brain podcast and creator of The Clutch, an online feminist coaching community where you can learn and grow alongside thousands of other women who are learning to liberate themselves from doubt, insecurity, and anxiety from the inside out. She is a graduate of Yale College and Harvard Law School, but quit her prestigious academic career to become a life coach, author of the forthcoming Enough Already from Penguin Random House, Cara Lowen. I need to get like a horn. Uh, I was going to say, I feel like now they're now I expect to be like applause. I'm walking on stage. There's thousands of people. That was a very there, it's, high energy clapping. introduction. Here we go. Clapping. Oh, wow. We got cheering. This is okay. That sounds more like an alien invasion, but we'll go with it. Um, Cara, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the pod. Um, we are here to talk about change which i feel like you know a little something something about uh considering (laughs) you changed your entire life to become Mm -hmm. a life coach and i guess that's kind of where i want to start my first question off is why the hell would you give up a prestigious (laughs) harvard law and yale education to do what you do i see you've been talking to my jewish parents who had very similar (laughs) questions when i announced this um so I think there's, you know, so many ways to answer that question, but I will say what it boiled down to for me was I've always been very kind of service and mission driven. I was a reproductive rights litigator and then a kind of women's rights um, lawyer. And then I became in my academic career. I was also focusing on those issues. So I've been like a professional feminist my whole life in one form or another. (laughs) Um, And so, but I felt uh, in my legal career, like the issues I was working on really mattered to me, but I didn't feel very um, sort of intellectually compelled. And I didn't feel like I was doing something that somebody else couldn't do just as well as I did Mm. it. Or, you know, not like Mm. anybody could do it, but like somebody with the equivalent education and skills and talents that I had, I did not feel like I'm the person who's going to come up with the strategy that's going to like save our rights forever. Like I didn't feel like it's sort of like Mm. that zone of genius, you know, like it just didn't Mm. feel like that's what I was going to be doing. But I didn't you know, growing up, like so many of us, we, our brains only know to think about what we've been shown. So we just know what we've been shown are the options. So, you know, Mm. in my childhood, I grew up, you know, upper middle class to Jewish parents, very focused on education and achievement. It was like, you'd be a lawyer or a doctor or like maybe a professor, (laughs) but there was not like an, or a life coach. Like that was not one of the options. (laughs) So you know, I, it's not, I never really went into law thinking, God, I just love law. I cared about these mm. issues and I wanted to work on them. And it was like, you could go mm. to med school or law school. Mm. And then as I discovered coaching work and I started, and you know, I'm sure we're going to talk in more detail about it, but I started applying kind of some of the techniques that I used to myself and building on them. I started to feel like, oh, this is a place that nobody's, I see this gap. Like, yes, it's mm. with a gap in the market as an entrepreneur, but really it's like a gap in the 
teaching, the system, the philosophy, like there's some work here that no one's doing that I think I can do that I don't think somebody else will do in the same way. So for me, it was sort of like, you have to have a compelling reason, obviously, to, to give up, like to make a big change, right? To like give up what you yeah. know and to, um, in my case, like give up a very socially prestigious position for one that was, you know, everybody was like, I'm sorry, what? You're doing what? What are you doing? <laughs> uh, but for me, that like that was really... It was so profound in my own life that I just felt like mm. no, not enough people know that they can change themselves in their lives so much. And, you know, as I'm sure we'll get more into, like, I just saw this sort of space that wasn't being explored around women mm. in particular and how they're conditioned. So, but it didn't mm. feel good. I mean, I would say my number one teaching on change is like, if you feel like you're dying, you're doing it right. Like, that's <laughs> what it's supposed to feel like. And that's what it felt like. <laughs> That's uh, so funny you say that. I I, I think I'm going to release this episode a week after I release kind of this like announcement episode. So you're kind of getting a first uh, here okay. at some major news <laughs> in my life. But I am mm-hmm. going through a massive change uh, with my relationship. Everyone knows mm-hmm. that I've been in a relationship almost five years with the same partner. We're in a very liberal, open relationship. Mm-hmm. And currently we are in some like transitional phase. Mm-hmm. And while I don't really know the outcome right now, I mm-hmm. know that there is a lot of unknown. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I actually just got back yesterday from a eight day yoga retreat in Mexico. I went and like took some time for myself and I came back mm-hmm. with this new energy of Things need to change because if nothing changes, Mm. nothing changes. And Mm -hmm. I expect that this happens to us so many times in our life, but can sometimes feel overwhelming to where it's a negative thing. Can you speak on how change, if you, if you work really fucking hard at it, can be a really good thing? Yeah, but I think that it's so important to expect that it'll feel terrible. Like, part of what happens <laughs> is people, like, I mean, I'll, in the entire part, so one of my kind of premises, which obviously I did not make up, this is just evolutionary biology, is that humans are, right, it essentially kind of motivated by pleasure to move towards pleasure to, like, move away from pain, right? And then in America in particular, I think we live in a very, like, feeling phobic society where most of us, it's things are changing now somewhat, but, like, we were not, most of us were not raised to, like, understand how to have our emotions or what they mean or how to deal with them. And things are changing now, but also Instagram pop culture is not the same thing as true emotional work. <laughs> like, there's, you know. You don't say. It's, a, it's yeah, it's a deep thing. So I think, you know, part of there's a couple of there's a couple of ways in which like we think about change in ways that I think are not helpful. So number one is we think, oh, I have to be like certain before I make a change. Right. Mm. So people will spend like years and years of their lives like debating back and forth if they should leave the relationship, leave the job, leave the whatever. Right. And sometimes mm-hmm. we do get lucky. And like you said, you know, we have an experience where we're like, oh, I feel really certain about this. Although even mm-hmm. you sounds like you got there because you gave yourself this space to like really dive into it Mm -hmm. and you know like well some of the shit is unknown and I'm gonna try to live with that ambiguity but a lot of us just want to feel confident Mm -hmm. and 
that is just not how most decision making works. You can't, what your brain is saying is, I don't want to do this unless you promise that I'll never ever feel bad in the future. <laughs> but that's, impos- that's impossible because you're a human and human life is 50 50. You're going to feel bad some of the time. Mm. So, like, most people have a lot of trouble even making a decision. And then if they start to feel doubt or regret, they like think something has gone wrong mm. as opposed to like, it's just your brain just making some nonsense, right? Like mm. any time that you think a decision is supposed to guarantee that you like feel good forever and never feel bad again, it's that's not what it's going to be like, right? And sh- your brain does not like change because your, evol- your sort of primitive brain, you know, feels like it's probably safe and not going to die if it knows what's happening. But you're mm-hmm. like, so you have to think of it as like you take like an antelope and you're like, let me drop you in a part of the world you've <laughs> never been with predators you've never seen. You don't know where any of the safe caves are. That animal's going to lose its shit. And that's what happens to our brains when we make a big change, like leaving or changing a relationship or a job or whatever. So change can be amazing, but there's a big difference between something being amazing for your life long term, helping you grow, enriching your life, opening up new opportunities, and something feeling amazing in the moment, which is pretty much just like Mm. orgasms and chocolate. That's that's what's going to feel amazing in the moment. And everything else is probably not going to feel like that. So we get screwed up when we think that it should. I love what you said, too, about this 50-50, right? Because I am finding with change that the way you said it so perfectly, you were like, yeah, duh, we should expect it to be painful also that we think we're going to go into something. We're going to grieve it or we're going to cry about it or we're going to be unsure and nervous about it. And then we're done with that grief and crying and nervousness. Right. And like, like, I'm totally yeah. willing to feel my feelings for like 13 yeah. minutes. And then yeah. by minute 14, yep. I'm over it. I don't want this to yeah. be happening anymore. Or even for like <laughs> a month, right? But we think of this like period of time where we're going to deal right. with it. And then like, you know, God willing, you're even self-aware enough to deal with it and then we go into well i'll never be sad or i'll never be nervous or anxious about this again but the reality is you're gonna experience new things with this change every single day and learning how to be gracious with yourself and i love how much you talk about the brain because that's what i'm fucking obsessed with i'm like i'm very emotional i'm very sensitive have no problem reaching my feelings being self-aware but i want to understand the science of why our brains Mm -hmm. do the things they do so that we can change it because if you are just Mm -hmm. grasping at straws so do you have any more insight kind of into maybe and I'm, this is sort of like a leading question. I'm like getting over, getting through some Joe Dispenza here. Uh, why maybe our brains can become addicted or used to toxicity or unhealthy things or mm. boring things even and mundane and routine and how, what's happening there and why that's yeah. bad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't personally tend to use the word toxic and I don't even really mm. use healthy or unhealthy that much only Mm. because I feel Mm -hmm. like then people get obsessed with debating whether something is healthy or unhealthy or toxic or not toxic in a way that is like kind of just like certainty. Like I don't, we're never getting a letter from the universe that tells you if it was or not. So Mm. I just don't, you know, don't know if it's that helpful for me, but um, Yeah. yeah, I mean your brain. So when we think about our brain, what we mostly think about is the experience that we're conscious of, what I know I'm seeing, what I know I'm hearing, what I know I'm experiencing, right? Your brain is actually taking in a shit ton more information than that, which it is filtering out so you don't even ever see it, right? 
And your brain uses all these shortcuts because if you woke up every morning, like imagine waking up with amnesia every morning and like not you know, only not knowing who you are, but not like knowing what a table is or how, where's the door to the bedroom or where, like if your brain had to encounter every object and every person every time and do a whole running analysis of it, you would like die of exhaustion, right? Mm-hmm. So your brain uses all these shortcuts and your brain associates knowing everything with being safe. Which is why I love the tagline mm. of the podcast is we know that we don't know everything, right? Yikes. But your brain <laughs> biologically wants to think it knows everything because then it can feel like it's safe, right? This is why you see that kind of um, reactive effect where this, those studies that show like if you prevent you know, evidence of climate change to some use of believe in climate change, they will not believe in it more by the end. You haven't changed their wow. mind with the evidence. Because cognitive dissonance kicks in, right? They double down on their existing belief because it's so threatening mm. to experience being wrong. And think about like how much shame some of us experience when we think we're wrong or how much fear, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That is, it's almost like this allergic reaction in your brain to the yeah. idea that you're wrong because that mm. feels dangerous, right? So the, mm. the correlate to that is as long as it feels familiar, that part of our brain is like, this is chill. Like this may be terrible for me. This may not align with my values or desires. This may be, if you want to use the words toxic, unhealthy, whatever, but your nervous system and your brain just get calibrated to your experience. And then it just feels familiar. I mean, that's why when people say, like people use that term self-sabotage and Mm. it's not exactly like you're not really sabotaging. Actually, what your brain is doing is just trying to create what it thinks is safe, Mm. which can paradoxically be like unhappiness, dysfunction, codependency, whatever terms you want to use, it can be something that like, isn't what your prefrontal cortex, the more evolved part of your brain thinks you want to experience. But with the part of your brain that is just like, let's say if everything is the same, then I know where all the tigers are and I won't die. Wow. That is what keeps us stuck. I mean, first of all, drag me straight to filth because like two weeks ago, I released a podcast episode (laughs) called self-sabotaging and like how to stop. And I, I'm like, well, yeah. That was me self-sabotaging my own brain right there in this moment. I should have said, like, how mm-hmm. to lead your brain into a safer place of change and understanding. Because It's a great term because people know yeah. what it means. Right. You know, it just all depends. Like with anything, it's like, how do you feel? Some people, when they see, mm-hmm. hear self-sabotage, they're like, oh, yeah, I feel empowered to stop that. So then mm-hmm. the term is great. Yeah. Some people okay. hear it and then they're like, oh, no, now I feel helpless. My brain is going to, like, attack mm-hmm. me and I don't know how. You know, mm-hmm. so just even mm-hmm. understanding why you do it. I think is what's important. You also brought up such a good point about fear and shame around being wrong. And mm-hmm. um, I think there's like a lot of ego work to be done during change. Even if you're the person confident about the change or leading the charge or like excited about it. Do you have any mm-hmm. tips about sort of fighting that ego, which is really based in shame and fear when it comes to Mm -hmm. making a change in your life. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I will say always is like, when we're thinking about our own thought processes, it's very natural, but not always helpful to be thinking in terms of, I have to stop doing this. I have to like fight this. I have Mm. to like, it like creates this adversarial relationship with our brain, right? And we don't really know how. If somebody says to you, hey, just stop self-sabotaging, you're like, well, if I knew how to do that, I I wouldn't be (laughs) self-sabotaging. So yeah, like, right? And when we use like, I have to like fight these thoughts, it's like you actually just create cortisol and adrenaline. Mm -hmm. You like put yourself into flight or fright, right? So 
the fear of being wrong and that ego, like you're totally right. It, that's what gets pulled in. My best like advice for anything that involves that, that ego, that shame, that fear, all of that comes from the belief that like your worth or value are contingent on various things. Right. So I call this like contingent self-worth, mm-hmm. like whether that's being right all the time, whether that's your career, whether that's like having the successful relationship that everybody mm-hmm. else thinks that, you know, that they want, like whatever you've based your self-worth on, you're going to be terrified of being wrong about. Mm-hmm. Cause what if that means that now you're not worthy, right? Mm-hmm. And humans are very intrinsically driven to, you know, try to feel worthy. So the more, the better, like the way I think about it is like the better friendship you have with yourself, mm-hmm the less your ego gets triggered. Like the wow. more self-acceptance you have, the less it matters if you're right or wrong about X kind of thing. I mean, I, I'm like, I feel like I'm listening to a podcast because I was totally, I was like so <laughs> present and mindful in that moment. I was like, what? Ah, get your next question ready, Kelsey. She's, she's speaking truth. <laughs> um, but I, again, like I'm, I'm loving this idea too of it coming from a loving place because I think mm-hmm. what I notice with change is that we fear that if we are soft, I'm making air quotes, or like too mm-hmm. kind to ourselves, we lose our edge maybe, or like if we're too soft and kind to someone who maybe doesn't deserve it, or you know, someone who disagrees with the change we're making in our life, whether it be family, loved ones, friends. Mm-hmm. Is there any way to work on that confidence as it comes to A, not fearing? losing that edge and that confidence, like not having others second guess you and not second guessing yourself. But I think, so I want to respond to this thing about like the, like, I don't want to be too nice to myself (laughs) because this is like such a, (laughs) so such a common thought people have. Like I just had this conversation with my partner last night where we've been like working on something, uh, in like family life and he did a really good job at it. And I like texted him and I was like, Hey, you did such a good job last tonight. Like doing that thing that we've been working on. And he's sort of like, he's a Midwestern. He likes to like ignore compliments. Love that. I'm a life coach. He's a New York Jew. And I'm always like, hey, you're ignoring the compliment. So, you know, I was like, are you ignoring the compliment? And he was like, well, I don't want to like, I want to make sure that I like do it like consistently and and perfectly, but you know, before I get too self-congratulatory. And I was like, that is not how the brain works. But that's so common. We all think that, right? I got to be tough on myself or I won't do anything. Mm-hmm. I, it's arrogant to like ever say anything nice about myself. I can't mm-hmm. be too soft on myself, like mm-hmm. all of this, but behaviorally, that is not how you create a consistent change, right? So if you look at people who train dogs, they will tell you, and we are not more advanced than that in our, <laughs> in this kind of thing. Like when, if you're trying to train an animal and what happens when they try to do the thing you want and they do it imperfectly because they're learning. If you first try to teach a dog to sit, if you just scream at them about how shitty they are. <laughs> they will stop oh responding to the command at all. Yeah. Like the, if you, if when they, co- if you yell, come sit and then you just beat berate them if they don't do it perfectly, they're just going to stop coming when you call. Like that's right. not how that works. That's why all dog training involves lots of treats and positive reinforcement. But we somehow think with ourselves, what we should do is berate ourselves and be harsh on ourselves. And like, that's going to motivate us to greater and greater heights. And, you know, I, because of my background work with like a lot of my students and followers and clients and podcast listeners and whatever people in my you know sphere of influence are 
high achieving, very motivated people who have been mean to themselves their whole lives, right? And they really credit that being mean to themselves. They don't even know they're mean to themselves, first of all, sometimes. They wow. think they're just being accurate about themselves, right? Oh. Well, I'm just self-aware mm-hmm. and I just know that mm-hmm. like I'm a little lazy piece of shit who needs to do more. So God, are you reading my think- diary? Get out of my personal <laughs> journal, the fuck? <laughs> And people always think that they've achieved what they've achieved because of the way they've driven themselves. And so what I want to offer anyone listening who thinks that is, what if you have it exactly backwards and you have created whatever you've created despite the fact that you're braiding yourself all the time? And what would you create Mm. if you actually were nice to yourself, right? What if you are only actually at like a tenth of your capacity? You just blew my mind there. It's because I'm coming off of this fucking yoga retreat, right? It's because I'm feeling so aligned and like so self-cared for. And I'm like, this feels really good. And it being right. today, it's like I achieved more before lunch today than I right. achieved in so years. And I'm what I'm hearing right. from that is I think I need to give myself more treats. Um, and on that, yes, before more I, treats, more positive thoughts. The weather is getting warmer, so it is time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now that I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortless, effortless, less, yeah, effortlessly chic year after year, like uh, premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from 30 doll hairs, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I can confirm this. I'm actually wearing Quince pants right now. You are. They are so, they're they're loose, they're breezy. These babies have a button, a fly, drawstring, and elastic in the band. So I can like, I can dress them up, I can dress them down. Yes. They are, they're the perfect pant for summer and I'm really comfortable as hell in them. Honestly, I am wearing the Quince 14 karat gold earring loop right now. Oh my God. I know. I think it's so cute. It does not tarnish. It is so comfy and I have sensitive ears so I'm really loving this for my body. So get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to Quince.com slash Kelsey for free shipping on your order in 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Kelsey to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash Kelsey. Are you looking to cut back on alcohol this year? (laughs) You are talking to two sober sallies. You know Zach and I love to drink recess zero-proof craft mocktails because it's a guilt-free way to unwind. It has 0% alcohol made with real fruit, only 25 calories or less, and it is sweetened with agave because y'all know I got that sugar addiction. It has incredible flavors. One of my favorites is the grapefruit Paloma. The Paloma is actually one of the last drinks I was drinking when I was drinking alcohol. So this is like a nice little nostalgia moment and it still feels really fun in my hand. And there's no reason we should be missing out on the partying either. It's such a good replacement for alcohol, a great drink for having in between alcoholic drinks, unwinding at home, at dinner parties, chilling on the couch. It is endless. Get 15% off recess mocktails now at takearecess.com slash Kelsey. So you can enjoy your favorite cocktails without the consequences.
Yes. Before I go on to the next question, which I want to be talking about with the law of attraction, uh, we're going to throw it real quick to a break. So we will be right back. This live editing thing, that's crazy. Like now now we're back and that's gonna make my life and editing so much easier. Um awesome. Thank you for experiencing this with me. God. Totally. I'm like nobody tell my podcast producers probably like, don't tell her this exists. Yeah, don't don't know. But you guys, Riverside is where it's at. <laughs> um okay. So uh, recently on your podcast, uh, you've talked a lot about thought work or subconscious blocks, mm-hmm. and I want to get a little, want to get a little witchy here again. Just got back from a yoga retreat in mm-hmm. Mexico. I want to talk about the difference between the law of attraction and training your brain, and what mm-hmm. you use specifically. Uh, what elements from the law of attraction do you use within your work, or do you refrain from it, and why? Mm-hmm. I did not use the term law of attraction. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm trying to be diplomatic and judicious. Yes. What I would say is that um, when people talk about manifesting the law of attraction, whatever it is, I think that when that works, the reason that it works is actually thought work behind the scenes, which is to say what I teach is that if you think a certain thing, that creates a way you feel, then you take actions based on that, and then you create results in your life, right? So if you work on truly believing that like you can find an amazing partner or get a promotion at your job or make a million dollars or whatever you want to do, when you are be- practicing believing that or believing thoughts leading up to that, those thoughts, when you're wor- doing this process correctly, naturally produce feelings that go with those thoughts and then you naturally take actions because our feelings drive our actions, right? Remember, we're always trying to get like towards something positive away from something negative. So you naturally take actions that flow from those feelings and then you produce results in your life that start to reflect making that thought come true, right? Mm-hmm. So that like sounds very woo, but if you just think about somebody who's like, like think about the person who invented, you know, the first person to be like, I think we could make a machine that would fly, right? <laughs> like, I believe that that's possible. Yeah. Nobody else does and nobody else has, but I think it's possible. And then they might feel like curious mm. or motivated or whatever that thought feels like to them. Mm. And then they would naturally take a bunch of actions, like sketch a bunch of flying machines, <laughs> try them out, see what happens. And if they survive that process, what they would be producing eventually is, you know, a machine that flies or gets closer to flying or whatever. So to me, that's not like magic. (laughs) It's just like how the universe works from your thought to your feeling to your action. All that being said, like, I am a very analytic person and I come from, you know, a very less witchy, more analytic side. Although, of course, all my friends who are very woo are like, you're a witch who doesn't know it. That's fine. You don't have to to admit it. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You don't have to admit it. But to me, I honestly don't think it mattered. Like my true, one of the things I gained from coaching was like to me, you know, we use the term coaching and I use that term because that's what everybody knows. At least some Mm -hmm. people know. What I believe I really do is like practical philosophy. Like it's Mm -hmm. like the big age old questions of like, what is the good life? What are we doing here? What are, how are we supposed to be? What is it like to be a human? Why is this so fucking confusing and horrible a lot of the time? Like, how can I be happy? Like, these are all, you know, when men write about this stuff, they're like huge philosophers we have to study in school. And then when women do, it's like self-help books on the internet. 
but we're all talking about the same fucking thing. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, so I think like through that, I have become much less attached to thinking that like my, like, I think we're just all using human language to describe something. So like, mm. you know, is law of attraction, quote unquote, more true than cognitive behavioral therapy? I, what does that mean? It's different ways of talking about a thing that people experience. Right. Yeah. One has, you know, peer reviewed studies and maybe one doesn't, but like, <laughs> I, I just don't, I don't get super hung up on that. Yeah. Like, I'm like, call it whatever you want. Here's how I think it works when it works. Mm. But I don't, you know, the reason that I sometimes, the, the hesitancy I have with some of the terms is number one. Sometimes they get misused, which isn't the fault of the term, right? Mm-hmm. But it gets – obviously, I am not somebody who's like, oh, you manifested your own cancer because you didn't believe you were right. healthy enough, right? Oof. There's like a lot of crazy bullshit out yeah. in the self blaming coaching world. And yeah. Self, yes, exactly. So like I don't – I'm not down with that. And sometimes people, like if they don't learn how to break down those steps, they don't see what's going wrong, which is that they like are trying to believe something that they can't believe and then nothing happens and then they're like – Forget self-development. None of this works or whatever. Yeah. So that's why I just like to be like, call it whatever you want. Here's what's happening. It's thought, feeling, action, result. Use whatever label you want for that. I love that because it's it really is all-encompassing and it's probably so specific to each person and like you have to gauge what kind of personality yes. they are and you know, if they're right. an executive and they're... Uh, wow, I was about to just throw in a witchy comment. I was about to be like, and they're a Libra. <laughs> they believe in like... <laughs> Uh, but that's fine but too. You know, like astrology yeah. is the science of the ancients. Yeah. I don't know. Everything that we believe now, in 200 years, people are going to be like, can you believe those idiots yeah. believed in cognitive behavioral therapy? Yes. Just like we're like, can you believe those idiots believed in astrology? Like human yes. knowledge is always changing. Mm-hmm. So I'm much less attached to like, what's the answer? And mm. I'm much more attached to what questions are you asking and how are you like Mm. treating yourself in that process. Mm. I wanted to touch on something you mentioned where when we're talking about um, thought and um, thought work, exactly. You Mm -hmm. mentioned when you're practicing thought work. And I think it's so fucking important to set aside actual time Mm -hmm. to practice because you think you can do it. You keep it in your head and that just becomes another thought mm-hmm. and another pattern of mm-hmm. I'm going to do this thing. Why am I trying? And it's not working. And it's like, no, you, I have to schedule mm-hmm. that time in my motherfucking calendar. And I, so I want to talk about why that's important that you actually have to practice it. And why mm-hmm. is the feeling so important? Because it is mm-hmm. right. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, So it's important to practice it because if you think about any other skill you learned, like learning to walk, it wasn't like what happened was someone sat you down and showed you the biomechanics of how walking happens. And you were like, great, I intellectually understand that now I can walk, right? You had to like take a step and fall down and take a step and fall down. And like, it took you like probably a year to get good at it at least. So creating neural pathways is no different. You would not walk into the gym and be like, well, I watched that person deadlift 400 pounds. So I'm sure now I can do it. Like, you don't know how to do that yet. You have to, like, lift two pounds and then four pounds, right? So when we talk about, like, people think because they can think a thought, meaning they can, like, say the words in their brain, Mm -hmm. that's like, okay, I did it. Now something should happen. Mm -hmm. But that's not how it works, right? All you've done, like, I could say the thought right now, lizard people in the sky control us all. (laughs) Like, I could say the words, but I don't believe that. And it's not going to, like, show up in my life in any way, Right. Right. You have to pick a thought that you actually can believe, which is like, we could have a whole podcast about that. Yeah. People don't know how to do that. I have mm. an episode called The Thought Ladder, a, a podcast you can listen to. Yes, linked below. But you got to pick something. 
Yeah, pick something you can believe, which usually means you make it much smaller and less ambitious than what you want to believe. And then you need to practice it because you're literally, right, The that saying like the neurons that fire together wire together, like literally you're connecting synapses in your brain and you got to practice, practice, practice. So you can calendar it. You can also, like, there's lots of different tips and tricks. Like you can make the new thought your password for the week and type (laughs) it in your computer all the time. You can post-it notes around your house. You can set alarms on your phone, but like you got to be practicing the new thought. Mm. And then in terms of the feelings, like the, a lot of people who come to this form of thought work are people who don't like feeling their feelings because (laughs) this thought work is like very analytical. So they think they can maybe just like sidestep the feelings by just changing their thoughts all the time. And like, that's fine. It's a developmental phase in becoming into thought work. Like in the first phase, you just change a bunch of thoughts and you're like, this is great. I never have to feel my feelings. I'm just going to swap all my thoughts out. Mm -hmm. But eventually you will like hit the wall. Mm -hmm. You will not be able to keep doing that. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have to deal with your feelings, Mm -hmm. right? And your feelings are actually what motivate your actions. And when you have feelings that you're not willing to feel, you're resisting the feeling, right? It's like Mm -hmm. the metaphor that my teacher taught me, which I still use because it's just such a good one is like that you, when you try to repress a feeling or resist it, you're like trying to shove one of those big, uh, round inflatable beach balls underwater and ah, it will like bounce up yeah. and hit you in the face. That right? is a good one. <laughs> and on the scientific level, what's happening is if your body is having a feeling, so it's trying to send, your brain is basically like, okay, sensations happening in my body, right? When you tell your brain, like, that's not okay. We can't have that feeling. You basically told your brain that, like, there's a tiger in your own body. Mm-hmm. Like, something bad and scary is happening, mm-hmm. and it's in your own body. And you can't get away from it because it's in your own body. So now your brain is really freaking out, right? So, like, you actually will just get yourself more and more agitated, and you mm-hmm. can kind of try to ignore it or shove it down, but eventually it will come out. And the mm-hmm. more that you resist it, the more you send the message to yourself that having a feeling isn't safe, the more mm-hmm. your brain freaks out. So there's, for no other yeah. reason, you have to learn to feel it, to like get out of that cycle. Yeah. And there's such a um, piece of this. I feel like, of course, I'm neglecting to bring up with when it comes to change, like something like, you mm. know, a job or a relationship or like who you are as a person. It has been years for some of us that we have been thinking and feeling and doing this thing and Mm -hmm. uh, firing, wiring these neurons together, building this pattern in our brain. Um, And of course we love to talk about childhood and blame everything on childhood, but also like there's a reason why we always go back to childhood and there's, you know, subconscious blocks that we're not thinking about, which I know you had a great episode about subconscious blocks, Mm -hmm. but also like how important is it to recognize how much of this came from childhood and retraining Mm. something that maybe you've done for 30 plus years, a certain way. And do we expect it to happen just, you know, six to eight therapy sessions or, you know, six (laughs) to eight manifestation workshops in. Right. I think it really depends on the thing, right. And it depends on what you're dealing with. Like coaching is not the same as, you know, there's overlaps I think between any healing modality to some extent, but like, you know, coaching is not the same as therapy. It's not the same as manifestation workshops. Like it depends on what you're doing. I would say, you know, coaching for me is really about like, what is your relationship? Let me put it this way. In the past, I would have said, and like the kind of the like neat answer is like therapies (laughs) for dysfunctional people who are dysfunctional and coaching is people are functional and want to be more functional. That's Mm. like the 
you know, standard response. I, to me, that sort of is like, well, who the fuck decides who's functional? And what does that mean? Yeah. Like to me, <laughs> coaching to me, sort of thought work or coaching benefits everyone. It is not always the only tool you need, right? It's like, there's no one who doesn't need the tool, but some people need other tools also. I mean, most of us need some other tools also. It's just it all depends, right? So in like, there probably are, you know, situations where people have like complex childhood trauma that they do need to revisit with a trauma therapist and work that out. They need to understand all of that. I will say in general, a lot of people who come to coaching have gone to therapy already. They have the awareness of like, okay, yes, my family dynamic was this, this is how it shaped me. But then they like stall out kind of because they either like, I've had people who'd be like, well, my therapist said I was all set and ready to go, but I still feel terrible all the time. And I don't think this can't be like all there is. Like, I feel like there's something else I could do, you know, or like, I mean, what I felt like was I had gone to a lot of therapy and I sort of felt like, okay, well, like, so now we understand why I go after emotionally unavailable men, whatever, which I used to do. Or do I just watch myself do that for the rest of my life with a lot of awareness about it? Or like, <laughs> what's the plan here to actually change it? And so like a lot of people come to coaching for that. So mm. I think it really depends. This is an unsatisfying answer, I know. No. But like what your problem is and, <laughs> and where you are in the journey. Like mm. for me, often the thing that's the most helpful about understanding where something came from in childhood is it can give us more compassion for ourselves mm. and like more of a kind of like, okay, I'm not just like, this is why this is happening. This is why my brain and body are working that this way. Mm. But of course we like need that because our default is just to beat ourselves up. So <laughs> it's like, maybe if we didn't beat ourselves up all the time, yeah. it wouldn't matter as much. But I find it the most helpful when I can tell that I'm having a disproportionate nervous system response to something that isn't mm. a big deal it's helpful for me to just be able to be like, okay, like the level of anxiety I feel about this thing is disproportionate. Mm. And it's probably because this is like a learned mm. childhood thing. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't even really mean I necessarily do anything after that. <laughs> it just allows me to like chill out a little bit mm. until it passes mm. and not kind of like be reactive to it. Right. And, and that like neutrality and curiosity is very hard yes, for some people everything. to get to because we're so much like, well, I'm self-aware and I see that I'm doing this thing. It's probably from my fucking childhood, but why isn't it changing it? And why am I not yeah. self-actualized and why am I not able to move through that? But that's but also like, that's where the life is 50, 50, right? Mm -hmm. The place that it goes wrong with the childhood, I think is people can get fixated on yes. blaming their parents or their caregivers or whatever in this way that isn't helpful because it's like we imagine, well, if only my parents had been different, I wouldn't have to have this negative emotion I have. Mm. But the truth is like everybody's got some shit, right? And I see it on the other side with like parents who get – like I coach parents who get paralyzed because they're like trying not to fuck up their kid, yeah. right? And you can't – Yeah. And like – but the idea that you can parent in a way so that your child will never have the human experience mm. of like being sometimes insecure or sometimes mm. lonely or sometimes sad mm. or like – Obviously, you can like try to do your best, but from either direction, the idea that just like, well, if childhood was different, I wouldn't have to have a negative emotion. Mm. That's what gets us like yeah. fixated, I think. Yeah. And that is like a false dream. Just like having, no matter how good your childhood is, it does not protect you from having the human experience. Mm, yes. And the human experience is experience 
experiencing. That's you gotta experience. To yeah, have the sometimes experience. it's awesome and sometimes it's terrible. Like that's just the deal for everybody. Um, I have to imagine that the clutch came out of so many people being, and women specifically, being like, uh, "That all sounds good. How do I do it? How can I have accountability? Where's a place that I can go to feel safe? Can you tell me about the clutch and how exactly that came to be and what?" Yeah, of course. Is? So the clutch is my um, monthly feminist coaching program. And I actually, when I first became a coach, I worked one-on-one and in small groups, but I sort of, you know, like we talked about at the beginning, I've always been very mission driven. And to me, like a big part of feminism is sort of, you know, empowering women to help themselves because the systems and powers that be are often not helping, right. And are not kind of on our side, excuse me. And so it was really important for me to empower as many women as possible to understand how to do this work for themselves, how to use it with their kids, their Mm -hmm. friends, their neighbors, their loved ones, whatever. Um, And of course the podcast does do that, but there's just, you know, a podcast is not interactive. Like I can talk to you, but if you have a question, there's really no way to ask me. So the clutch is that the kind of the answer to that. So if you've listened to, um, you know, what we've been talking about, or if you listen to my podcast, it's like the place that you can take it deeper and in a structured way. The yeah. podcast is great in the sense that you can be like, uh, jealousy. Let me look through 350 episodes and find yeah. the one episode I want to listen to right now. But in the clutch, you can be like, okay, I'm experiencing jealousy. Let me like unlock this module on friendships mm. so that I can do this exercise. That's exactly about my experience mm. of having my friendship and I can get some help with that. Right. So we have courses on different topics. You can get live coaching, you can get written coaching, that's the sort of it's like it's like the friend group you wanted but never had because friends are amazing but they all just validate you right that's the problem <laughs> going to our friends for advice our friends are all like yes all your thoughts are true uh, those people are all terrible mm. right like that which has its place but it's not the no. same as learning how to look at and change your thoughts with more structure and you also don't want a friend who's like you're wrong you're shit you should really fucking change right who you are. yes like, this is not also <laughs> there's yeah. a balance i mean fundamentally what Yeah, what I think all my work is about is teaching Mm. women to be their own best friend, Mm. like to have their own back, to like show up for themselves that way. Like you are the longest relationship you're going to have in your life. And we spend so much time obsessing over our relationships with like our bosses and our colleagues and our kids and our partners and our friends and our parents and our, or like the guy at the dry cleaner (laughs) who gave us a weird look, right? Like, Like the way women are socialized, you can feel amazing about yourself and then a fucking stranger on the street can like give you a look and then your confidence is shattered. That is fucked up. Like we have to learn how to build a relationship with ourselves that is strong enough to like withstand any storm, much less a weird guy at the dry cleaner. (laughs) So that to me is really what all this work is about. And I have to know, was the clutch a play on words with like, this is clutch or like, it's like a clutch or it's like a clutch. All of it. No, it's all of it because so I call my podcast listeners chickens because just one day I said, hello, my chickens. So then I was brainstorming names. A clutch is, as you know, like a small bag that fits everything you need. Something comes in clutch when it's exactly what you need at the right time. And a clutch is a group of chickens. Wow. That couldn't have been more perfect. perfect. And that's kind of like my coffee dons. That's what I call my listeners. They're confident. They're confidants. 
look at us being right. real, real uh, our alignment creative with words. I love it. Um, <laughs> well, I can't believe how long we've been chatting because this just felt like free therapy for me. So thank you uh, for your services. But also, uh, if you want to hear more, definitely too about like the way women are in the world. I know you just had an episode out recently um, too about kind of how we are conditioned and how. We, oh yeah. We didn't get into this, but that's a lot of what yeah. I teach is like how women are socialized to think specifically mm-hmm. and how that fucks with our brains and how uh, to undo Yeah. It. And I think especially with the way the world is going, what we're seeing happening mm-hmm. to us, there's a lot of fear and um, desire to cha- do something. And I, I think mm-hmm. a lot of us don't know where to put that desire. So um, I would definitely link that below as well as where people can sign up for the clutch and can you tell us, please, where we can find more about you, Cara, and if we yes. want to know more about The Clutch and where else we can find you? Unfuckyourbrain.com is the place to go for everything. You can find me on social media with my very long, hard-to-spell name, Cara Lowenthal. <laughs> and uh, you can find the podcast anywhere you get your podcast, Unfuck Your Brain. Ah, oh, we love it. And look at me playing a song live as we, we go out about our day. This was so wonderful, Cara. Thank you so much for being here. I definitely would love to have you back. I just know you're a wealth full full of knowledge and help for ladies out there. So thank you so much for what you do. Uh, And we will see you next week, Confidants. Don't forget to rate this five stars on iTunes. If you're not going to rate it five stars, please don't rate it at all. Thank you. Have a nice week. Bye. Bye.